here. Um, do we need introductions again? Or are we good? We should, we should probably we do should quick do introductions because I flubbed the first time. So why don't you do the introductions this time? You're better at it, but I will do my best. We All have right. Dr. Glafke on the far left. Dr. Sodegren. I'm Peter Malinowski. <laughs> I'm Dr. Jerry Creed. And this is... John Cadwallman. And Eric Gadan. And we're here to talk today about boundaries. Boundaries. We're going to talk about what that means. Yeah, what it's like to have boundaries with your clients. Anyone want to jump in? We're sitting pretty close together for boundaries. Yeah. We are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's still... Are you uncomfortable with that? This is a circle of trust. Well, John, it's, it's still clear to me where. I end and you begin. <laughs> I'm not I can sure. I, I think it's all kind of like sure. merged together. Well, yeah. <laughs> first kind of step of boundaries. That's right. No, there is so what does it what does it mean to have a boundary? Like because there may be some some folks that are watching here at Souls and Hearts that are wondering what do you mean by boundaries? At least within a therapy relationship. Mm-hmm. Or what do your clients think that that means when they come in, right? Because sometimes my clients believe that means we're not going to have a real relationship, you know, because of the boundaries, right? There's boundaries. So it's not really a human relationship. It's a role-based relationship, right? It's a, it's a psychologist-client relationship, you know? And it's not really a relationship between Peter Malinowski you know, in Jane Doe or whoever the you know, whoever the client is, right? less so. between persons and yeah, you're playing the role of receiver of information and psycho and uh, recipient of psychological technique, and then there is practitioner of psychological technique, technique. and right. and one who pours the information into right. the other. It's very transactional, mm-hmm. right? When I think of boundaries, though, I think of safety okay. first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So whether and, and we all need safety in relationships, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, a client, a person coming in may or may not have good boundaries. And if they don't, because maybe different things have happened to them in their lives and so on, um, by having good boundaries, I create safety in that relationship. So, Jerry, you're talking about how um, good fences make good neighbors. And even how John and I were teasing, how we're I end and he begins. And so, you're saying like, by that boundaries are more problematic for those whose boundaries have been challenged, tested, That's and have true. been wounded. Because of boundary violations. Maybe, Jerry, can you say a little bit more about how boundaries create safety? Right. Well, because if I am in a relationship and somebody is even, say, physically coming too close to me, you know, I might feel kind of unsafe, like I'm being, you know, um, controlled, manipulated, um, you know, and, and so to have an established sense, you know, I, you know, sit here, please, rather than right here means we're creating some safety, we're creating mm-hmm. some order, we're having some sense of, okay, what are the guidelines mm-hmm. and rules that we know is, is, is established, and so we can be comfortable with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is some part of the way the frame of the work, mm-hmm. if you think about it in that regard, too. I mean, not in the sense of just the professional aspect and what that means in the sense of formality, but it is, I mean, it's for the greatest good, I think, for you know, the, the patient and the therapist, too. Mm-hmm. But some clients don't like the boundaries, mm-hmm. right? They don't think they're helpful. They don't think that it, the relationship would be as good, you know, with the boundaries as it would be without certain boundaries. Mm-hmm. Like, why won't you hug me? Why won't you, you know, um, talk to me? You know, uh, come to my wedding. 
yeah, come to my wedding. Sure. Right. Why, you know, or, or other types of things, you know. So what kinds of what kinds of things? How do we how do we understand that? How do we explain that to clients who might not see the, the boundary, not, might not see the safety issue as so prominent, but see the boundaries as actually getting in the way of the relationship? Mm -hmm. Right. Or the work like um, I think one of the biggest issues that we have to uh, address and clarify is communication between patient and therapist outside of sessions, right? Because if they do build trust in us, then naturally, you know, depending on what they're struggling with, they may reach out and ask us for advice, how, you know, I'm, what do I do here? And there's a natural inclination to want to provide mm -hmm. some direction, but are we really helping them, right? Um, and so I think, you know, lots, a lot of times patients can be confused as to like where that line ends, like when can I reach out? you know, to you via email, via phone call. And so it's important for us to clarify like what situations uh, warrant that and um, and how we respond. Because really we want them to develop a sense of independence and make their own decisions and not, we can actually be harming them by trying to make decisions for them. But that all comes in like outside of, uh, well, in session and outside of session. But I don't know how you all manage that. And I think it goes back to how we love. Because it's kind of where, you know, to the discussion earlier, the sense of where, I mean, some of the framework or really this, you know, that kind of frame is something where it, it is how we love. And the tough thing about that, I think, to your question, Peter, is the sense of where people do want more for lots of reasons. Some of that may be very natural, very healthy. Some may be more this sense, you know, as Jerry's alluding to, this, uh, this harm, this injury, you know, what seems to be familiar but it's really trying to love them in the sense of what's helpful, we, we, at least what we believe, right? In the sense of where that part of willing the greatest good of where, you know, if we do see you at the supermarket mm. because, you know, the sense of trust and the safety, which is the privacy, which is really, you know, one of the keystones in terms of like how we work, that we're not going to really, you know, in some ways kind of violate that sense of trust. We hold it like to that high of a regard because we care about them because we love them. Mm. So are the boundaries that you guys hold the same for every client? You're making me think of self-disclosure because as therapists, we don't do a lot of self-disclosure normally, but sometimes we do share things mm -hmm. about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is going to be different with different clients. Mm -hmm. There are some, some clients that you make judgment that it makes sense to share a little bit more. And with other clients, you don't. And you know, it's, it's going to be dependent on the client. So discerning where they're at and mm -hmm. yeah. what's best for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There's going to be certain boundaries that are going to be the same across mm -hmm. patients, right? Like, um, you know, time and space and financials and confidentiality and mm -hmm. things like this, right. That are sort of inherent in, in the therapeutic frame. But then there are other things like you're talking about, Jerry, um, that are going to vary depending on the therapeutic needs and what's what's you know most appropriate for where the where they're at in the process and all of that kind of thing. That's how I think about it as well. There's a certain mm -hmm. standard set of mm -hmm. boundaries, mm -hmm. um, and then there are you know then there are, there's a whole separate set. Self disclosure is a good example. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a lot of differences about um, 
about even how that standard set looks. You know, so for example, there's a lot of um, differences in the way that therapists, for example, handle touch, right? right. Um, you know, uh, shaking hands in the session. I, I was taught that you didn't really shake hands. You know, I, I remember, and I, I've been, I, I have that is something I made as a general practice, but not everybody does. I'm open to it. It's a kind of a because it seemed. Some people isn't very much of a strengthening of kind of sending them on their way and kind of a, a greeting of of, um, of strength and and, and compassion. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right with some people it doesn't fit. Well, and to that point, it's understanding what the being of touch is. Yeah, right. Which is a very subjective kind of experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that for some people would be very warm, very welcoming. Right. But others, that's mm -hmm. very you know. Creates anxiety, and, and I think it can be both for a person <laughs> at the same time, right? You can be you can on sure. one hand, they really desire it, you right? Know, sure. On the other hand, it's terrifying because of ones. the associations that they've had in their history to that. Sure, so. I just with that, I feel like you just have to be natural. I feel like if you're are weirdly artificial about it, I mean, I don't have a problem shaking someone's hand, mm -hmm. um, and but I usually let the person lead. Mm -hmm. So if they start right. putting their hand out, hey. Right. So you don't want to be weirdly artificial and, and inhuman and rigid, but you also want to be able to describe and, and address what's going on, to be able to explore what that meaning is, because I could be interpreting and I could be wrong about what it does interpret, especially if it means two things at the same time. Right. And so it can be difficult to manage boundaries perfectly. And sometimes there's, you know, sometimes there's a hook in it. Like, so what happens if, you know, you extend the hand, normal handshake, but then there's a grip and a refusal to let go. Right, that's good hand. You know, it's could happen at the end of the session when a when a client doesn't want to leave or feels like she wants to be rescued or something like that. And that's an opportunity then, right? To talk right. about that. Right. I think for right. most people that it's just a normal thing. Right. But right. if you that's did an it, detect, thing. if you detected that, then that mm -hmm. would be an opportunity. Right. Well, and that's where I think, in some ways, I mean, going back to your commentary about natural, I think that what's natural sometimes can be a slippery slope. Mm. Um, I, I think it can, you know, just occur, you know, very organically, very spontaneously. But I mean, to, to your point too, Peter, it's a sense of where, not that you have to analyze everything to death, you know, with understanding in that regard, but it's kind of the sense of where people may still want to initiate contact and not really know why. Well, you know, we're really in the sense of familiarity, and which in some ways could be, you know, familiar to them in the sense of that could be harmful, that seems, in terms of other things they've done too. Or maybe is that pleasing to us? Or were they trying to give us the sense of where? So, I mean, you know, the intentions, so to speak, I think are important because that's another way we understand that we're with. Yeah, I, I tend to err on the side of um, handshakes and having some amount of touch unless I have indications that it's not uh, in the client's best interest or they are uncomfortable with it or something like that. Because I think it's an important part of just human relationships in general. Um, so I always offer a handshake at the beginning. I have had some people say that they'd prefer not to, and so that just became our norm. Mm -hmm. um, but that's always my custom is to start and end with, uh, with a, a handshake. Well, and I think from more of an attachment standpoint, for some people that's very powerful. Right. Because the sense of like reconnect with the base. Exactly. And that's why I do it, because I do operate more from an attachment frame. And so, you know, that eye contact, physical touch, name recognition, uh, and at the end, you know, some um, uh, reference to our next meeting. So the relationship has 
a sense of continuation over time. Mm-hmm. All of the, all of those are things that help people to to feel more secure and to know that um, you know that that uh, the relationship has some stability to it and safety. Like Jerry was talking yeah. about having safety and what right. I can count on, what I can expect within this relationship. Right. Right. These are boundaries. These are expectations, which have. Um, there's some fl- flexibility and there's some arbitrariness to it, but this is a, a constancy and a way to be with someone. Mm-hmm. Some people, I mean, appreciate that for lots of reasons, but one of which is the touch means that we're real. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a little counterpoint to that because I don't do it that way. <clears throat> I respond if there's a, mm-hmm. you know, a hand extended, but... I work with a lot of folks that are pretty traumatized and especially if it's a woman, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait because I don't know if I'm going to, and it's a different perspective on it. I don't know if I'm going to burden her with a demand, mm-hmm. you know, to actually have physical contact. And if I don't know much about, you know, the history of the case, it's the first session, second session, something like that. I'm, I'm more cautious about that. But I, I follow, once again, the natural rules. Like, I have a rule in my head. I'm not sure where I got it. But when you meet, greet a man, you put your hand out and shake their hand. With with a woman, you wait. And if she extends her hand, then you shake your okay. hand. But otherwise, you don't reach to a, I don't know where I got that. But Interesting. that's just what I do. Is that a Canadian thing? No, I don't know. I think it's a Southern thing. But yeah, because I've noticed it, that that makes sense for me. And that's why I feel it's like you should, like you shake a man's hand. It's, kind of, it's like, it's like, Indication of type strength type thing, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm I'm coming to mind somebody's like, no, no, that wasn't a good handshake. We need to do another one. That's <laughs> <laughs> so real handshake. So, and whereas with some, I know, and I'm, that resonates with me as well. Like some, there are individuals that it's just not. I don't want to put that burden of contact on her. Well, I, the first time that I meet anyone, <clears throat> excuse me, in the sense of like you know, this is coming for the intake, the first meeting. I do. I shake hands with everybody. Um, after that, though, I do tend to follow the lead, and I think it's something where it would when people do initiate contact, um, it's curious because I think, you know, again, the idea of where, you know, sometimes it's a sense of closure. This is like how we end, so to speak. There's kind of an indirect formality about too, but it is trying to understand what that means to them in regard to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, if a client initiates a hug. You know, the next session, what, it, what was that like? What was your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You because it can be a something. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's another way to enter, I think, in terms of their experience of what's happening. Because we can still be doing good and unintentionally, you know, causing harm. It's a great opportunity in, in a session and afterwards <clears throat> to process something that most people don't get an experience of with their own relationships and their families, like talking about how, because it could be awkward, right? But to be able to, like, talk about it, about something awkward and be okay, I think is really, really helpful for uh, both, you know, patient, patient and therapist. Uh, we're also in a unique position. I mean, not that other psychologists or therapists don't run into this, but like, like we all have our own parishes, mm-hmm. you know? So like, it's, it's pretty common for, for Catholic therapists to, you know, the referrals come from our own community, which is great. We're likely to have much more intersection right. with our, right. our patients outside of it, so we have to be very clear and mindful. And I talk to my patients, and you know, when we start the the relationship, okay, 
what's it going to be like if, you know, when we interact outside, you see me at mass, you see me at the grocery store, you know, and everybody has different preferences. Because mm-hmm. I, I have some patients who are like, do not look at me at mass. Right. Like, after <laughs> mass, do you acknowledge me? Don't come and shake my hand because everyone knows you're Dr. Klafsky. <laughs> I'm your patient. I'm not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Others I know are, like, offended if I don't at least say hello. Right. You know, but it's good. It's kind of good to know that right. and, and set set those up. But and some of them are like Marlene, come here, Marlene. I want to introduce you to Dr. Melanowski. Yeah, yeah. you know, he's my therapist. Right. You know, right. 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 You know? Right. and you know, and and okay, you know, yeah. you know. So, so there's well, all kinds of reactions. Yeah, definitely. I've had a, a really wide spectrum on that. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Right, and it could be a barrier because a lot of people may not yeah. want to work with you because they think there's a great likelihood that. Yeah, you know, I'll see, I'll see that uh, professional. So I'm going to go somewhere else and right, right. understandable, but, um, well, and I think that goes back to Jerry's point in a way, the sense of where trust safety, like do they initiate? So it's a yeah. sense of, you know, we know that she exists in time and space. We're not going to violate that the sense of your privacy. Um, and if they initiate that, that's something, you know, we can talk about too. And I think some of this, I mean, Mark, you're really getting to something that's important here where some of it is, or still is, I mean, the stigma of working with a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Sure. What that means, and I think it's, it's evocative for lots of reasons, mm-hmm. um, but it's a sense of where I think really the, the concern is this sense of illness. What does this mean? My bad, basically. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, truly, I, I think we would probably agree this collectively, a sense of where we see some part of the work that we do in the sense of health. Mm-hmm. Growth, yeah, potential, because mm-hmm. yeah, we're all we all are wounded, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's mm-hmm. part of living in a fallen, in a fallen world, right? So mm-hmm. there, it's not like, you know, it's not like, um, you know, I lost my train of thought. You know, maybe you're talking about being aware of our own stuff too. Yeah, I mean, we need to be aware of our own stuff, but it's not like there are the, the folks that have, you know. The, you know, those scary words, mental illnesses, right? And then there are people that don't have mental illnesses, right? right. And they're just two different camps, right? right, like right, that. right. It's not like that. Like a leper type right. thing. You're un- you go with the bell, unclean. Yeah, unclean, yeah. yeah. Right. Right. It's interesting the difference, too, like between what I observe, like in psychology, psychologists, and maybe marriage and family therapists, at least historically. Because, I mean, if you look at some of the great, you know, marriage and family therapists, like a uh, Virginia Satir or a Carl Whitaker, some of these people, I mean, they're touchy. Mm-hmm. They're in there with the people. You know, they're down on the ground playing with the kids. There's not a problem hugging. Mm-hmm. There's not a problem touching. I mean, and if there's an issue that comes out of it, then it's processed, right? right. Um, but it's very much you're in with the system. You're mm-hmm. part of the system. You're, you're a person. You're right. a human. You're not some kind of... Right. Alien object that has right. to act strange around normal human behaviors, right? Sorry, feel the passion, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I run a group, and all the guys hug each other sure. after. So yeah. I'll hug. You know, yeah. like yeah. it would be weird if I didn't. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, if no, there's really, a problem, then you talk yeah. about it. Yeah, I'm really grateful for you saying that because I'm a little bit more in that camp myself, right? I, and some of the styles of therapy that, you know, I came up learning and tend to practice are more humanistic and, and touch is more of, you know, an acceptable thing, but you do have to have that space to be able to process it and, and adapt if it's triggering something or it's, you know, counterindicated for some reason. 
And sometimes the attitude would be, yeah, and if it triggers something wonderful, let's work yeah, on it, right? right? It's again, it's an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you create a sterile environment, you're not going right. to have those opportunities. Right, right. Well, and you're talking about something, too, that I think is unique to all of us is a sense of flexibility. Yeah. So I mean, we may practice somewhat differently, still with a sense of good, whatever that is, but the way that we actually get there may be different. Yeah. Well, I think it also depends on the person and the clinician. Sure. Right? You know, there's sure. a lot of variations in terms yeah. of just the, you know, the styles of the clinician, kind of who they are, as you know, who each clinician is as a as a person, and that that has a huge impact on this sure. as well. You know, so I want to go back to a point though that you were making, Mark, about um, you know contact outside of mm-hmm. of therapy and and how we handle that because it does come up a lot, especially in the Catholic world. Being a Catholic therapist is a little bit like being a small town therapist, right? right? Because our patients come from our parishes and other things that we're involved in. And um, it it also raises the question of who can we take on as -hmm. patients and who can't we, right? Um, Because, you know, we have to have a certain amount of space and objectivity, right, to be able to do therapy. Like we can't do therapy with, you know, family members and friends and close associates and and other people that maybe we could do good, good work with, it's still not a good idea right. because of the various complications that can arise. And yeah, that's, that comes up regularly. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. you know, people it's call in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, can, it can feel artificial. It's like, <clears throat> why won't you help me? I'm right. asking you because I trust you and I know, I know you well enough to know that you can do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time when I have to say no to those cases because it's like, yeah. I want to help this person out, mm-hmm. right? I know, I know them or I know something about them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe even I think I could help, but I know it's not, it's not in their best interest. And it's, but you know, I also think about it in terms of my boundaries, <clears throat> it's yeah. in my best interest because I don't really, um, I like to have spaces where I'm not at work. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I enjoy, I mean, I don't have a problem seeing a client at church or something. Right. But in general, I like to be able to not always have that hat on and to just be at church mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. be in my yeah, neighborhood. Sure, like, I don't yeah. want a client in my, on my street right. necessarily even right. either. Right, right, um, If it happens, it happens. It's fine. Right. Right. But I'm going to protect my own kind of personal space. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's that, that harmony around what's best, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is a basic Catholic principle. That if it's best for one person, it's also going to be best for the other person, right? Mm-hmm. So it can't be that it really is best for that client to see you, Andrew. Right. But it's not best for you to see that client. Right. right? That's right. not a that's not a possibility right. within Catholic right. thinking. Well, because we believe in divine providence. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So that is a useful way to think about it, because it, it may not be clear what's best for the client, but it might be clear what's best for the clinician, mm-hmm. right? And then that can help inform that decision about how does that, mm-hmm. you know, how does that relationship start, or how does that referral get made to some other clinician? Right. 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 So my spider sense starts tangling when I'm feeling like I'm being pushed to do something outside of my own boundary, mm-hmm. which then should also signal, hey, there's something unhealthy with the right. client too. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. we have to, we start to rationalize things uh, to make them seem better than they are. They're really not that good. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What I found reassuring sometimes for potential patients who, like, you know, you said you have that sort of, there's a request, but there's enough of contact either directly or like, you know, a friend of a spouse or, you know, mm-hmm. a child mm-hmm. or somebody. Um, what's reassuring sometimes is because I want, I, I think there's a tendency for them to think that I'm trying to just, 
attend to my own discomfort mm-hmm. and that can feel very rejecting mm-hmm. but say like i think something you're not realizing is like you need the freedom to be angry with me in session like you need mm-hmm. the freedom to be upset or to feel that maybe this wasn't the best fit for you therapeutically and not have to like hold that back which is really healthy to be able to engage that which mm-hmm. you're going to likely have greater freedom with someone you don't have that relationship with and so it's a way of protecting them and i think someone's hearing that is reassuring i was like oh, okay you're, you're look i can see now uh operationally like how you're you know taking care of me in that it's not just mm-hmm. about that's me. a great point i think it's kind of where <clears throat> some of this is conceptual and also stylistic but it's a sense of where because we value the relationship so much with the person we want to protect that yes for their good mm-hmm. and it is something where sometimes we'll have situations where you could justify or rationalize in some ways <clears throat> how the boundaries are okay if they overlap. And I think that's why it's so important to take it back to the relationship the person was serving, you know, your patient, and the sense of where, what does this mean for us? Like, how would this affect us? <clears throat> and so it's where people may, you know, almost reactively consent, but then if you pause and understand it, you know, then you can fully consent, I think, as far as both parties or not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes <clears throat> we agree to disagree right. with people. Because mm-hmm. I get a lot of that. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys do, the sense of where, you know, I'm working with one, you know, it's like come out, you know, my wife, or my husband wants to come in, or it's something where right. you have these, you know, potential dual relationships. Right. Right. And that will naturally or unintentionally um, kind of bleed into the work that you do. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we deny because we don't care it's because we care that we may say and we see something more which is important for you again at least ideally that's if we're if we're aware of ourselves right Mm -hmm. if we're really spending our time in prayer you know on our spiritual development but also on our own natural human formation right right? you know it's not just the spiritual realm it's the natural realm as well Mm -hmm. right and so um I don't know, maybe that's a topic that we could get into, you know, the next time that we all get together. Well, because we have to have some degree of self-knowledge if we're going to have self-gift. Right. And if we're not, if we're unaware, I mean, even the, the spirit mm-hmm. of doing good, um, we can cause harm. All right. Well, let's 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 pick it up with that uh, when we all get together next time. So, guys, remember what shirt you're wearing. All right. Try to bring the same clothes. <laughs> Try to bring the same clothes. And we'll sit in the same spots when we do this the next. When we do the next time. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Very clever. <laughs>